0: Well, good morning, church, and thank you to everyone who has helped us worship the Lord together uh, from younger generations and older generations. And I'll tell you what, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed this morning so far. I don't know about you. I'd love for us to do this every Sunday. That might be a little bit of much in terms of coordination. So thank you, young people, and uh, thank you, uh, Pam Bristol, for really being kind of the, the engine behind this, uh, this whole idea So Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 6, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, Jesus values and loves children. And so do we at Rocky Bayou Baptist Church. Jesus talked here about the importance of protecting our children from a sinful world, from violence, from predation, from Corruption. And we believe this very, very strongly at Rocky. And this is why we take our child protection so seriously. Every adult who works with kids is background checked and has to go through child protection training. And just last Sunday morning, Pam Bristol taught a child safety class. I want to encourage you if you're in this in our body and you've never even gone through the class maybe because you you haven't worked with kids, I I still think you should go through this class. The next one will be August the 6th, and you can sign up for that on on our website. But it's very important that we protect our children, but not only protect our children, we want to learn from our children about faith. That was the whole point. Jesus brought a child and said, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you need to become like this child. Children teach us about Trust and humility and dependence. And if you want another the kingdom of heaven, maybe you've never actually truly in your heart met Jesus. The way to do it is to meet him like a child that is fully dependent on, on a great, truly great Savior. So kids, we, we are so proud of you. We love you. Thank you for helping lead us. Not just in front, but behind the scenes. Um, I got my new bookmarker. Uh, That was handed to me by one of our kids who was helping greet this morning. I love that. Um, Be examples. Continue to be examples to us, right? Lead us by your example of of faith. And I hope that you children are encouraged this morning. We're going to close this message today with some specific contextualized applications for you guys. But God's word is for all of us. And if you're just joining us this morning... We've been walking through the book of Hebrews for the last, almost this last year, and um, Hebrews chapters 1 through 12 has soaring theological truths about Jesus's high priesthood and what that means for us today in the here and now, and what it means to, to live by faith, and, and how, what it is to appreciate this new covenant that we live in, the fact that the, we're climbing Mount Zion instead of Mount Sinai, that we are in the new covenant of grace purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ and the freedom and the relationship with God, the closeness that is found in that covenant. Well, now we've arrived in chapter 13. And here in chapter 13, we we see a practical application of those truths. So similar to how Paul writes in the book of Romans, we have all of this incredible theology. And then he ends with, hey, here's, here's how I want you to apply this. Here's what this means practically in your lives. That's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 13, this last chapter of this great book. And, and so we're going we're gonna to slow down and we're going to spend some time looking at these different practical truths. But the bottom line here is that truth leads to action. Or, orthodoxy in theology should result in what we call orthopraxy, that would be right living, living as worship to our God. And so here we see in verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 13, the command to love others. But who must we love specifically? Well, there's two Greek words, kids, that I want you to remember, all right? Um, You're never too young to learn new things, including Greek words. And, And the first of these you probably already know. If you've ever been to Pennsylvania, you probably know this word. And that is Philadelphia. Does anybody know what Philadelphia means? If you're under 18, what does it mean? Brotherly love. That's right. Literally, the love of brothers. This is a construct of two Greek words. Phylos or philo, which means love. And Delphia, or Delphos would be singular. Delphia is plural brothers so the love of brothers is philadelphia well here's here's a second Greek word for you this morning and that is philozenia so philo again means love anybody know what zenia means you can be over 18 for this one anyone ever been to Xenia, ohio what 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 is so okay so proud proud did you guys live in Xenia? you guys were close My brother lives right outside Xenia. Xenia means stranger, right? So Philadelphia means the love of brothers, and Philozynia means the love of strangers or outsiders. So we're going to look at at, at the first one here, uh, but let's look at our text one more time, which says, let brotherly love continue, verses 1 through 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware well let 's start with talking with with talking about what it means to love our brothers from first one and and let me just say by clear implication here, uh, kids especially, this also means sisters. so if you have a sister, you better love your sister as well as your brother, right? So verse 1 says, let brotherly, or you could read into that, sisterly love continue. Well, well, brotherhood is a concept that our world longs for, but it doesn't completely understand. And maybe the closest model for brotherly love um, uh, in our society might be in the military, where you have people who go and serve together in combat, and that experience can forge a bond of brotherhood, right? A a band of brothers can form out of going through and walking together through very difficult and dangerous circumstances. But we Christians... Not only, and I hope we Christians experience this together as well in life. Uh, We will if we follow God's command to to engage in mission together. But we Christians, theologically, are are joint heirs with Christ. So spiritually, that means that we've actually been bonded by God the Father and through the Spirit with one another. So that we experience a spiritual brotherhood. And so there's all the more reason for, for Christians to be the model that this, that this world longs for of, of, of the belongingness and the, the, the true love that brothers and sisters in Christ can experience. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when, when brothers dwell in unity. But that unity must be guarded and maintained, why do you think that Mystery Man, who's the author of Hebrews, we don 't know who it was, why do you think that, that he tells these Hebrew Christians to continue in loving one another as brothers and sisters? Well it 's because that can be a struggle. Now I'm hearing a little bit of alarm. Do we have, should, is there a cause for alarm, brothers? Fellowship hard for, so we 're fine. All right, if I see any smoke or anything. Anything from the ceiling? Everything looks good to me right now, folks. We'll let you know if you need to be alarmed. <laughs> Pun kind of intended. Well, let's come back and think about here this, this, this whole concept here of intentionally loving one another as brothers and sisters. When you first come to faith, there, there's not much sweeter than the fellowship that you get in Christ with other Christians right and when you're really alone maybe maybe you're in the military and you're on a military base somewhere maybe in a remote place right and when you discover another christian man the, the fellowship is just sweet some of you've experienced that very thing or maybe you're a college student and let's just say you went up to a place like new england where there's not frankly a whole lot of christians or maybe you even went to europe a very post christian continent right and so there you are in, in college uh, 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 on your own in, at, this, in this, at this secular university and then you meet somebody who loves Jesus. You don't really care what culture they come from. You don't care what denomination they come from. They might be a charismatic for that matter or they might be an Arminian but you're like, you love Jesus. Come and talk to me. Let, let's hang out. Let's learn together, right? Well, One one, one pastor put this way, that this idea of of just Christian fellowship, put it this way, he said, it's it's a desire to climb into each other's souls. That's what what it's like when when you're out there and and you meet a true believer, right? You just want to be together and to commune and encourage and stand together and, and pray for one another. But but what and and many of us experienced that when we first came to know the Lord, you 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 joined a Bible study group or a life group or a church, and and the fact that man these are other Christians who've who've come to see that man Jesus is King, and and most people don't see that we're like brothers and and sisters, and they're going to take time to to pray for me to care for me when I'm down, and I can trust them with my soul needs, man it is sweet. But, but over time, we start taking each other for granted, do we not? And maybe, maybe some of the sweetness wears off, and guess what? Christians are sinners too, right? Churches are full of, of, of sinners, and, and some of that stuff starts getting on our nerves, and, and we find ourselves disagreeing on issues, and it's very easy to get polarized, and for, for pride to surface, and for us to get annoyed with one another. And, and and so, sadly, we can start becoming divided or even distrusting one another. And, you know, sadly, my observations with spending some time uh, in parts of the world where the church is persecuted, where you would think that the uh, the affliction and the persecution would forge everyone together into that bond of brotherhood and sisterhood, sometimes, actually, we, we, we actually see in the world that, that the persecuted church is often distrustful of each other, sadly, and and even divided, sometimes even turning each other into authorities and things like that. You think, how could you? And yet Satan often works that way, and as people are hurting, sometimes they get kind of grumpy, and they start blaming each other for things. And so in the case of of, of those who, who got this letter, it's very possible they may have struggled with unity and been struggling more with unity as the persecution from the Roman Empire was was starting to increase. They had already been being persecuted by Jewish authorities at the synagogue level. And now that Nero was about to stride onto the scene, the the writer here of, of, of Hebrews wanted the church to endure, to continue in loving each other as brothers. Paul said something very similar in Romans chapter 12. He wrote, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So think about that. Next time you see on social media a little spat between some Christians, think about, instead of trying to win and beat each other and and win the day in the argument, maybe we should outdo each other by honoring each other. That's what scripture teaches here. Now, Now, brotherly love takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes time, frankly. And it takes forgiveness because you spend enough time in a relationship with someone, you're gonna fail them and they're gonna fail you. You might even betray one another. And you need to forgive. It takes humility and endurance as opposed to selfishness and just focusing our lives on pursuing our own interests or proving ourselves right in that conflict or trying to find justice for ourselves. You know, forgiveness means being willing to let that go sometimes. Well, Peter wrote the church in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8. He said, "Above all, keep loving one another earnestly." you get that you get the point here we keep hearing these words like like outdo and pursue and and earnest. In other words, we're to work for this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Brotherly love should be sacrificial. John wrote in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and Sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And I just want to stop and say that that this is something that I've seen manifested often in our church family. So good job, Rocky. Uh, often putting your time and your service and your money where your mouth is, in caring for brothers and sisters in their needs. But let us continue to, to strive to love in word and truth, uh, and not just in um, in word alone. John tied our love for our brothers and our sisters to our assurance that we are indeed Christians. He wrote in, in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 of 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Well, Jesus, in fact, tied our love for our brothers and sisters to the world's knowledge that we are indeed Christians. In John 13, 34 through 35, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you catch that? Maybe maybe, there's, maybe you've got a grudge against another believer, and that's getting uh, in the way of your really loving them. Well, here's what he said. He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So brotherly love is essential for the Christian life, and it must be fought for and continued and, and striven for. But we're not only to love those who are close to us in our close fellowship, we should also love strangers, right? Verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And so this is our second point this morning loving strangers. And you know, hospitality, that, that's the actual meaning of this word right? Philozinia, the love of strangers. And in areas of the world where the gospel is just making headway, really for the first time, where it's, where it's penetrating darkness, right? Hospitality in these places often helps facilitate the, the spread of the faith. And that's how it was in the early church, right? Where, where Christians were having to make dangerous journeys, and, and oftentimes when you got into a, a, a town or a city the inn what was not a it wasn't a Hampton inn okay or a or a holiday inn think maybe like no offense anybody but maybe like the budget inn in Valp okay uh, th- this was a this was a a a, a inns were were kind of dangerous places there was a good chance you were going to get robbed if you stayed at an inn and they had bad reputations as places of kind of ill repute. And frankly, they were miserable places to stay. And, and so folks relied, and especially as persecution began, they really relied on the hospitality of other Christians to put them up when they when they, when they got into town. Even sometimes strangers, people they didn't know. And, and today, in, in places like, like Afghanistan and, and in Africa, this kind of concept of hospitality continues to be the norm. It's very normal for, for someone to show up and, and you don't even know them, but you, you, know, you hear about them or, or they, they kind of pop up into your orbit and just to say, hey, come come stay with me. It's a very, very normal practice. And, and, and it wasn't long ago, just 25 years ago, when, when I was in, in, in Africa, before we had internet communication, right, or, or news, it was actually kind of a, a joy to have a guest, Right? Someone just would pop up in town and you'd actually kind of find out, you'd find out about the world out there and what's going on through, through your guest. Believe it or not, in my lifetime, we didn't have the internet, right? And believe it or not, like literally, I, I would find out about outside news from who, someone coming into town and, and having a meal or, or, or lodging with us. And it was just, it, was just, it, it opened up the perspective and the bandwidth. And, and today, the, the Afghans have a saying that a guest is more valuable than a father. And this is an honor-shame society where, where fathers are greatly honored. In fact, we, we, we experienced uh, hospitality living in Afghanistan, where we witnessed and, and experienced Afghans actually risking their lives to protect us when we were their guests. So, the very opposite of philazenia, that would be the love of strangers is something called xenophobia. Maybe you've heard that word before. Xenophobia, which is the fear or the rejection of strangers. Well, let, let me give you an example of xenophobia. You may say, well, we're not xenophobic here in our church. Uh, I'm not xenophobic. Well, let me, let me share it with you um, about a ministry that I was involved with about 30 years ago uh, when I was a college student up in Ohio, um, near, near Xenia, in Cedarville. We would go down every, every uh, Friday night. We'd go down to inner city Cincinnati, to the Clifton area, um, which back then was rough. I think it may be gentrified a little bit now, but it was full of homeless and drug abuse and prostitution. And we'd go down there and just walk the streets and befriend people and share the gospel with them. All right, every Friday night, that's what I did. I actually did that for three years, my freshman through my junior year. And some of these people... Came to know Jesus and got saved. But, but our biggest problem was that it was very difficult to find a church that would accept them for follow up. There were actually not many churches right in the, the inner city that proclaimed the gospel, right? Uh, and then those who did, who, who believed in the authority and inerrancy of Scripture and in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, often had kind of a fortress mindset, so their doors were locked. And and they weren't really very welcoming. And so it was hard to find, frankly, a church that was not xenophobic. So we were college kids, right? But we decided to do an experiment. We would find churches that that we believed believed the gospel and said they believed the gospel. And then we would send a couple students to visit with them on a Sunday morning, not dressed the way they normally did. So they had a little fun with it. Uh, But the, the, the ladies, the young ladies who would visit the church were dressed more like what you would find on the street. And how do you think they were received? I can say, not well. How, how would we receive them? Right? If, if someone walked in looking like, say, a prostitute, how would we receive them? But What we found was sometimes men would, would kind of pull their wives a little closer as if they're trying to protect their wife from a prostitute. I don't get that Exactly. Um, but, but and, and no one would invite them to lunch, and few would talk to them, and, and sometimes the same young ladies would go back the next Sunday, the way they normally would be dressed, to see what the difference was, and the difference was stark, because sadly, these weren't churches full of people. Well, we have to ask ourselves, would we be much different? Are we much different? How do we treat those who are coming out of a broken world. Because in a broken world, having a heart for evangelism and and, and being able to effectively disciple people is often tied to our level of hospitality. Are we willing to invite people in? God has always cared about hospitality, and he has always expected his people to be hospitable. In In the Old Covenant, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34... God said, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And and just note to self, whenever you're reading in the in the Old Testament, and God says, I am the Lord, it's kind of like thunder. It's like saying, Listen up, I mean it. Now, do you know that in the New Testament, hospitality is a qualification for elders. You know, we we often think of of, of some of these others like, okay, a one-woman kind of man, um, able to teach, um, above reproach. But actually, in 1 Timothy 3, 2, we read that, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. So, in order to be biblically qualified to be an elder, you must have you must, your life should be, must be practiced such that you have a love of strangers, right? You must be hospitable, as well as these other things, like able to teach. But you know what? It's not only for elders to be hospitable to love the stranger. This is a command for all Christians. In 1 Peter chapter four, verse nine, we're instructed to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, Why do you think someone might be tempted to grumble about having to show hospitality? Well, hospitality isn't always easy, is it? And, and frankly, some people have taken advantage of it. I, I know people who have actually invited and brought people into their home uh, off the street to live with them and Months later, it was really hard to get them to leave and to be set up and established on their own. So hospitality isn't always easy. In fact, there are sayings about guests being similar to fish, I believe. After three days, they don't smell so good. And you might, you might be like, hey, well, that's just, you know, that's a modern thing. Well, actually, there's a, an early Christian handbook called the Didache, which actually says this, and I'm quoting, let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, but let him not stay more than one day, or if need be a second as well. But if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. End quote. Now, I don't think we should take that too literally. This isn't the word of God, by the way. But the point is, even in early Christendom, some people did take advantage of Christians who were hospitable. But but sadly, hospitality is often neglected by christians in our in our culture you know beth and i when we lived in the islamic world we we were actually taught by muslims by their lifestyle of hospitality we were we were we were actually shamed a little bit by how hospitable people were to us and each other and I, and i learned that actually the place they got this and some of this is culturally Hospitality in in the Arabian Peninsula, in Central Asia, as I mentioned earlier, is is often kind of necessary for survival. Uh, Our culture today here really doesn't respect, doesn't, you know, it's not a big part of our culture. We're very individualistic, post-industrial. You know, most folks really are going to be okay, you know, without it, um, or so we think. But I tell you, where the Muslims got this, they actually got it from Christianity, the, the, the very beginnings, Muhammad was influenced by a number of Christians, and sadly, many of them were heretics. He misunderstood a lot of things and he twisted a lot of things when he invented his religion, okay? Um, uh, but the, the, the concept of hospitality that he got came from Old and New Testament stories and teachings. And yet, the, the Arab cultures just managed to maintain it better than our Western culture has. And so, all of us are products of our culture. And of course, COVID hasn't helped things either, right? Where where for a while we were really siloed off and and, and isolated. But let's just beware getting too used to that, getting too used to to kind of being on our own and and not having others in our homes and having an inward focus. Now, there's there's an author, and, and I know several of you have read some of her books, named Rosaria Butterfield. She wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and the subtitle is Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. I think just her title says a lot. But if you haven't heard her story, she was, living, she was an avowed intellectual atheist living a sinful lifestyle who was led to Jesus Christ through the hospitality of a a very simple family, of a pastor and his wife who brought her into their home and spent a lot of time with her. And and through that, through their interactions together around the table, the Lord melted her heart to where today she's a, a daughter of the king, a godly woman, raising a godly family, having a huge influence in the world for Christ. And one of the points she makes is that you really get to know somebody In their home. You really want to be known and you want to know someone. Spend time with them in your home. And I've found, especially with Muslims, but all kinds of folks, that's where people really often open up, right? There's all these fears and anxieties and things going on. But when, when you're in a home, you can let your hair down and actually have often deep gospel conversations if you're intentional about it. Well, what kind of things get in the way of our love of strangers or our hospitality? Well, I think the first might be selfishness, right? We'd rather spend time with our people, uh, meaning people who are just like us. Boring. I'll talk about that more in a minute. There's selfishness, there's busyness. Right? I mean, a lot, of time, a lot of our lives are so filled up that we don't have time to be hospitable. But we've got to ask ourselves, what are we, what are we so busy with anyway? I mean, some, some of you have daunting work schedules. But, you know, we, there are a lot of hours in the day and in the week if you calculate it all. So what fills the time? How much of that might be entertainment? You know, one thing that I've, I've learned uh, in the, these last couple of years from, from my friend Gwen Armfield is the importance and the value of creating a little bit of buffer throughout your day. And and buffer in your life that allows you to stop and be hospitable. Because hospitality might take hours over a meal in the home, but it might be just a couple minutes stopping and talking to someone in need. That too is hospitality. The love of the stranger. So it might be selfishness, it might be busyness, it might be shyness. You may say, I... I'm not really good at talking to people I don't know it it would be awkward for me well let me just tell you that here in in, in the in in the context of the church a couple things will help if you just have a couple questions you don't have to even talk about yourself much a couple questions right the first what is your name what is your favorite color Sorry for the Monty Python um, uh, influence uh, uh, thing. inference there. No, uh, what is your name? That's important, okay? Uh, and, and you don't have to go up and say, what is your name? You can say, hi, my name is Troy. What's yours? That's not hard to do, right? Uh, then you know what you can say? Question number two, where are you from? That, that you, can lo- you can really get into a conversation with people just learning about where they're from, right? If it's at church, you might say something like, hey, how did you, how'd you find Rocky? Right? What led you to Rocky? Now, we know the answer to that already. The Holy Spirit, God's sovereign. And you could say, if you'd like to be theologically appropriate or correct, you could say, how did the Lord lead you to Rocky? <laughs> you can say that if you want. Um, but just, yeah, how'd you find us? Right there. there there's a, that can open all kinds of doors to actually being hospitable and, and maybe answering questions they have about, about the church. So let's not let shyness be an excuse just have a couple questions and your goal is to get them to do most of the talking well something else i think that gets in our way sometimes after selfishness busyness shyness you get it ness fakeness fakeness right and what i mean by that is thinking that we have to have like the instagram worthy home before you can have someone over Right? This is part of the affliction of social media, in my opinion, and that is fakeness. Fakeness. And so, man, I'd love to have someone over, but, you know, I just met someone at church, but man, the house is a wreck. What are they going to think? I got to spend half a day doing a deep clean and, you know, doing some interior decorating before I can have anybody over. But you know what? I'd rather have raw, authentic love over perfect decor and and kid behavior, any day. And, and by the way, as a pastor, sometimes people are, are a little bit, if they know me well and my family well, they actually don't feel this way. Uh, but sometimes when I, when I go to someone's home, you can tell that they're a little nervous about what their kids are going to say. They're <laughs> A little worried about it. They're kind of, you know, kind of pinching their kid under the, under the table or something, you know. Like, just don't say anything. It's better that way. Actually, you know what? You'd have a hard time surprising me, all right? Because I have kids. And I was a kid, and uh, by God's grace, and I love him dearly, my parents don't go to this church because you'd have a whole lot more dirt on me, probably, (laughs) if they did. So I I want, you know, we we need to open our hearts and our homes, and and I just want to encourage you, try to practice hospitality in a way that is is not too overwhelming. Uh, You know, it's simple. Throw a little more water in the soup so that you can repeatedly do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the perfect cake, you know, although... Man, I had some awesome cake over at their house the other day. Um, uh, so that wasn't a dig on you guys. I'm sure your cake is always like that. Um, that was awesome. But, but you know what? So, so just, you know, think about just how can we do this a lot? And, and the truth is that we need more humble and genuine and transparent love in our relationships than, than we need to impress people, right? And have an Instagram-worthy home. True hospitality, though, is not just about a meal. Sometimes we think that way, I think, in our culture. But but true hospitality always includes welcoming people in from the outside to the inside. All right, let me say that again. True hospitality always includes welcoming people from, from the outside and bringing them into the inside. That's the idea. So it might be welcoming somebody. Into your, into your home. But it, but it might be welp- welcoming an outsider to your lunch table at school or at work. Maybe somebody who normally sits by themselves. Kids, young people, youth. You know what the opposite of phyloxenia is? Well, I already said xenophobia, but forget that one. Clicks. Having just a little circle of insiders, and everyone knows who's in, and no one else is in. That's the opposite of hospitality. And probably most of us at some point have hurt and been hurt in our life experience, in our social experience, because of cliques. You know, some of the most loyal friendships throughout my life have have started by either bringing someone in or being led in who was outside. You know, my, my, my best friend in, in college grew up, I won't mention his name, um, I love him dearly, but just in case he's listening, <laughs> uh, which I don't think he is. Um, but, you know, he, he grew up in England as a missionary kid. And the Brits tend to be a little bit reserved, and this was the most reserved, shy freshman you'll ever meet. And, and he was just terrified To talk to anybody. I mean, this guy was the sort of guy who just you know sits by himself, and yet he was an incredibly brilliant guy, and athletic. He had a chance to play professional cricket in England, but he chose to come and 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 go to college at a Christian college in the states instead. But super reserved, not you know not real sure of himself. And I brought him in, and you know what? Within a couple months, he was the most loyal uh, friend. I mean, I went through a hard time the latter half of my freshman year. And every night he showed up in my dorm room with a pizza. I don't know how he got all that money. He probably went into debt. Uh, but he'd bring a pizza and he'd sit there for two hours and just talk to me. And the Lord used him to, to get me through a really hard time. And then I betrayed him our sophomore year. Uh, and and briefly, it was a, a dating game uh, with a bunch of nutty college kids, right? Hundreds of them. And I thought it might be funny to put his Name on multiple slips of paper, like 30 or 40, into the drawing. It wasn't funny. Poor guy ended up being up there, and um, actually, he he stole the show at the end of it when he said that when they asked about the best date ever, and you know you had all kinds of cheesy responses with learjets and all that kind of stuff, and he simply said, "I grew up in England, and I used to once a, a year go to Wales with my family. I always thought it'd be neat to take a lady on a walk through the hills of Wales." Suddenly, he was the man. Um, and he forgave me. It took him a little while. But true friends forgive, right? Bring people in. Some examples of hospitality, and we've seen a good bit of this in our church. Fostering and adopting. Bringing a, a, a child into your family. That's a beautiful example of biblical hospitality. But also... Caring for your neighbors, indeed. So by that, I mean, maybe you see your neighbor, you're about mowing the yard, and it wouldn't offend your neighbor. Maybe mowing their yard, too, right? Or pressure washing their driveway. And, and then, you know, you, not just wasting that, but, but as you make these gestures, inviting them for a meal, and, and really getting to know them, and, and sharing with them your life story, what a, and, and learning about their life story. And, and soon, what are you talking about if you're really sharing your true life story, You're talking about the gospel. You're talking about your your testimony. Because nothing is, if you're a Christian, nothing is more important in your life story than than you're meeting the Savior. Being intentional to talk with people who are new in, in your circle or outside of your circle, new at church. People who are different from you, who look different, come from a different background. Being intentional about reaching out to them. These are examples of biblical hospitality. And I'll tell you, I, I think that right now the Olsen and the Brink families are, and they're, they're sharing a pew right now, and, and I hope next Sunday or maybe the Sunday after, that pew is even going to be fuller. Because they're bringing a, a family from the Ukraine, the, the Mankoski family, who are, are, are similar to us, professional backgrounds, and suddenly they find themselves as refugees because of a war. And so this family here has invited them. To, they needed a place to go. They didn't have a home anymore. They couldn't actually literally go home. And, and so they said, well, come stay with us. And we don't know how long. Come live with us. And that is, that is a wonderful example of Christian hospitality. And I'm praying. We're praying for you. And I'm praying God will use this deeply spiritually in this family's life, that they too may may know your Savior and your King Jesus. He said in, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. And so we as elders have set up a a uh, fund. We're going to call it the Matthew 25 fund because of this verse. And if anybody would like to, to help uh, with any of the material needs for this family, you can simply write a check to the church and just note it, Matthew 25, or, or ask myself or an elder or Lynn, and we'll, 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 we'll help facilitate that. Genuine hospitality takes sacrifice, but it has great unexpected benefits. And that's our last point The unexpected benefits of hospitality. Jesus said, or I'm sorry, the mystery man said, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now that's a very interesting, uh, this is a very interesting text here. And mystery man is likely referring back to several stories in the Old Testament. You remember in Genesis 18, verse 1 through 5, we, we have a story in which God himself appeared to Abraham, when he was by the oaks at Mamre, and, and, and God actually came as three strangers, three male appearances, and one of them was the Lord himself, and two were likely angels. But we read the story, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, this is 18, 1 through 5 of Genesis, and as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. was he was promised by God that his wife would get pregnant and have a son this time the following year, that Isaac would indeed be born. And then when you keep reading in Genesis, the very next chapter, we we see a story where where Lot shows hospitality to two angels unaware. And then Judges actually has two stories about something similar. In Judges chapter 6, we read the story of Gideon showing hospitality to the actual angel of the Lord before he realized who he was talking to. He had prepared a meal for him. And so I think the point here uh, isn't to get us distracted, wondering, well, is it possible I've had an angel in my house? Okay. Uh, but I think, I think that the, the point here is that when we step out of our comfort zone and when we really, truly care for strangers, really cool things happen. Now, that, that shouldn't be our motivation that the motivation for hospitality should be to glorify God. But when we live life like this, uh, there are all kinds of cool side benefits. I mean, our world is often expanded. And, and at times, we, we really get to help the mission of God more than we realize that we would. Dr. Moeller wrote this. He said, we should show hospitality and, and love to strangers because astoundingly, some of those strangers are angels. We often do not know with whom we're visiting. This is something that we need to keep in mind. Though it should not motivate our love, we simply do not know whom we're really seeing when we notice a beggar on the side of the road, or a person in the hospital without a visitor, or someone in prison. The person we see might not be who we think we're seeing. End quote. And I have to say, in my life, I have, I've gotten to a point where I've come to pay attention. From unexpected directions. What do I mean by that? Well, a few years ago, and I've, I think I've shared this, you, this with you in the past, I, I saw a homeless guy exercising great hospitality to another homeless guy, and I stopped and I took note. Okay, um, we were at the beach in the winter time. Homeless guy in a pavilion. What, what's your first thought? It's hey, you know, keep the kids close. we want anything bad to happen. And, but I saw a homeless guy sleeping and shivering, and another homeless guy walk up and open up his, his, his sack, and he had a backpack, I mean, he had a, a, a sleeping bag, a decent sleeping bag, and he unzipped it and actually put it over the guy who was sleeping. So I assumed they were good friends or something, and I engaged the guy, and I learned he had never met the guy before. He just said he needs it more than I do. That's hospitality, right? We need to kind of have our eyes open and, and to learn it's possible that we may see things that are, maybe, it is possible that we, we're seeing an angel. I, I think I've shared with you the story about my, my son, when he was little, on a bridge, getting stung by a couple yellow jackets. And I looked up, and I didn't see the guy coming, but it was a shirtless redneck, right, who, who broke his cigarette up, spit on it, anointed Tim's ear with tobacco juice. And that ear that had already, like, doubled in size, it, it did the trick, and it gave him a nicotine buzz. He was a great hiker after that. <laughs> the, guy, the guy just kind of walked off, and I looked back, and I didn't see him again. I don't know. Maybe it was an angel. Not sure. Possible, right? Uh, when I lived in, in Mozambique, Africa, this, this hippie traveler showed up in town, right? This dude with him, he was this Aussie guy, long beard down to here, kind of all braided up, long hair down to here. He'd been traveling across Africa for like a year and a half um, didn't smell great at all. I mean, you know, just a little backpack. Um, uh, you know, very, very, going very, very light. Needed a shower. Needed a place to stay. I invited him in. He ended up staying with me about two weeks. You know what? This guy was a surgeon in his 30s who decided to take two years and travel the world. And he had some cool stories. And I really enjoyed my time with him. I was working with a missionary doctor a surgeon. The very next day, he scrubbed up and was actually doing surgery with Charles in the, in the, uh, in the OR there in northern Mozambique. Brinks, let me just say this to you, okay? Um, I've, I've hosted folks in Africa, in Afghanistan. When we were over there, I think probably about a third of our time, we had people living with us in Afghanistan, staying with us, right? And, and you know what? I have been, in turn, lavishly hosted by some of these people in South Africa in Germany, experiences I otherwise would never have had. And I know your motives for this are pure. You're not doing this for any side benefit, right? But you know what? Let's just hope and pray that, that in the next couple years, the war ends in the Ukraine, they're able to rebuild. You guys are going to have a really cool place to go visit. People who are going to be really eager to show you a good time and show you their culture. Well, as we, as we end, look, There are all kinds of cool side benefits, things that happen, churches that grow, souls that are saved when God's people practice hospitality, worldviews that are expanded. But kids, I want to end this. We want to land the plane by just giving you a couple practical pointers that come from Miss Pan. All right? Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you, nobody look down on you because you're young, but set the believers an example. In speech and conduct, in love and faith and purity. So I hope that you will do so. I hope that you will lead out from the front. I hope that you will show us older codgers how it's supposed to be done. Okay? So here's a couple ways that you can practice hospitality on Sundays that Miss Pam sent. The first was stop what you're doing and excuse yourself from a conversation to offer a warm greeting to a guest or an older individual. You may notice the older folks uh, talking to the same people every Sunday afterwards, kind of huddled up with their people, but you can lead them by example. And you see somebody who's a visitor, right? Or that you don't know, you go over there and talk to them, engage them, greet them, just say welcome even. She says when when you're walking out of Sunday school, you could look for ways to help other people. And that might be carrying items for somebody, opening the door for somebody, Offering to even escort a child into the sanctuary, a younger child. Another idea is to include visitors in Sunday school in your conversations. Ask ask them questions, help bring them in to the the fold, invite them to, to sit with you. And finally, talk with your parents about having a new student in their family over for dinner, then help with a meal the cleaning, the serving, maybe plan a game to play with them. But you could be the, you could be the change agent within your family to, to help your parents think about bringing a new person in to the fold. God is the ultimate example that we have of hospitality. He brought us into his family. Jesus said that, that, that he went back to heaven to prepare a place for us, for his people. But you don't have to wait until heaven to have fellowship with him. He says in Revelation 3.20 that he stands right now at the door of our hearts and he knocks. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about coming in and being with you. And he's talking specifically here to Christians. So let me encourage you to open your heart to him today. Let's pray. Jesus, you said that you were a stranger, an outsider, and your people let you in. May, may, that, be, may that be true of us. May you come into our hearts and, and dine with us today. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you by loving the stranger and by loving our brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to go out of ourselves to bring people who are outside into the inside of the group. And Lord, I thank you for those people that have done that for us. Lord, we pray that we would become more like you every day. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.